All right, welcome to Shift Drink Podcast. This is part two of the Central State episode. So today we've got Jake Kinneman with us, yeah. and we're going to be talking a little bit about business. And of course, Arthur Black is my to my right side here. You're my right hand man today. Hi guys. <laughs> so we've if you listen to our previous episode, which if you have not, we highly recommend going back and listening to that. Um, Josh, unfortunately, was not able to uh, to stay over and talk about the business side of opening a, a, a new food and beverage business or brewery or whatnot. But uh, Jake has uh, kindly agreed to stay over and, and do another episode with us because it's something that we've addressed repeatedly and like the anxiety and the issues of opening a small business. And I get asked all the time, as I'm yeah. sure you do, like or not even asked, but told. Like, Walking I, off the ledge, man. That's a big deal. It is. Right. I mean, you and I have had the conversation because you're like, oh, you know, maybe in the future I'll do something. I'm like, Psh, get your head checked. Right. <laughs> Ride that paycheck as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. Take your take your fucking benefits and, and enjoy them yeah. because it gets a lot harder. Um, and I know you've been through a lot of the anxiety that I went through when we first opened our my first restaurant opened in 2008. Uh, in fact, I was just talking with uh, Martin Kate a little bit earlier today. Um, or I guess we whatnot it wasn't yeah. necessarily a, a conversation but uh you know smugglers cove is seven years old this weekend so uh siam square our first restaurant was eight years old in october so we opened about the same time but right in the middle of a financial crisis so yeah. i mean he was Holy after shit. it had really had taken hold and destroyed the country ourselves we opened five days i believe after the stock market dropped eight percent in one day um wow. and two weeks after Lehman Brothers failed. So, I mean, there's a lot that we went through in that in 2008 to kind of stay alive in 2009 um, to bounce shit. back. Yeah. I didn't actually realize the dates until I watched that um, documentary, uh, Smartest Guys in the Room or whatever it was. Sure. That. So, um, anyhow, I didn't mean to take over there so quickly, but, um, yeah. you know, you, you've been through a lot of the same issues, you know, kind of building this brewery and now you have uh, a tasting room and a tap room it's not even really a tasting room. it's, it's, a, a, tap it's room. a bar yeah we we refer to it as a bar and and that's i think the one of the biggest things that we did right so we didn't come out and say hey the guys that that own central state are are also opening a bar okay um what we came out with is well we're opening a bar but it's gonna have 12 tap lines and four of those are gonna feature central state and we're gonna do carry out and stuff like that and it very quickly went to uh oh well it's your tasting room and we're like well shit because now we're down that path so although we do sell carry out although we do do the releases here they're two separate companies they're two separate llc's you know all of that we don't fill growlers here uh we never will fill glass growlers we may in the future do the can the 32 ounce crowler do, a, but, do you have thoughts on that like why you don't want to do the growler refill thing yeah growlers are are the single worst thing you can do to a beer For, like transmitting um, bacteria and just quality wise so as soon as as soon as you do that, right, you're pouring it, um, and the, the first thing that happens is it foams, and then it people fill it all the way up to where it's the liquid, so you're not capping on foam. As soon as you take the the straw out, the hose out, it drops, so there's a, a gap you that you're automatically trapping ox oxygen yeah. in, and then there's no way to properly seal those caps unless you're doing plastic around them, which the only time I've ever seen that happen was half acre early days, like 2009, 2010, right. to seal that in. So immediately your beer starts to degrade. 
let alone what happens once you walk it out of the tasting room, whether you put it into a car at a different temperature, you take it out on the patio and set it in the sun, it's going to start coming through and getting light struck. So it, it just starts to degrade the beer immediately. No, I love it. Like that degree of hypersensitivity to hypersensitivity to providence is it's a reflection of your passion. Yeah. And so that's when, when we have people come in and they say, well, oh, you don't fill growlers. And we say, well, if you're after... 64 ounces of liquid, we sell carry out at $10 tax sure. included or $11 tax included, and you're not paying for glass and you're not paying for a fill, which is roughly what you're going to take. Right. But yeah. I mean, you guys have been doing this. So the bar here, how old is the bar? Almost a Coming year. Coming up on a year. Coming yeah. up on a year, but the brewery itself. Uh, we took. Which delivery. you're involved with both. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are three of us that own both. Uh, we have not until uh, a couple weeks ago taking any investment dollars whatsoever awesome. as we look to yeah, to fund fantastic. our expansion um, we found a, a great guy who reached out to us about a year ago and we've gotten to know him really well enough to trust him and uh, he and, and his wife have been fantastic to us and they're gonna come on board to help us just move move everything forward um, so super excited to have have them on but then that makes what five of us Right. And so... Yeah, it's still real small. You know, I mean, it's, it's... Yeah. I mean, I I feel you. You know, we never took investors either uh, for a great while, and I still only have one. Yeah. Um, you know. So, I mean, going back, you know, what what did you do before the brewery? So, I, I still work at, at Salesforce during the day. I've been in IT for a shade over 10 years. You still have that job? Yeah, absolutely. So Is there like office space or something. What's that? Is there like office space no, or something? No. Uh, <laughs> Sa- Wait till his last day when the fucking yeah, printer goes sa- down. <laughs> Dude, Salesforce, I I Damn, could it feels not be, good to be a gangster. Yeah, I, I could not be more more privileged to be there and and the the flexibility that they offer and then with having the bar, uh, my wife and I live two blocks away. That's how oh, awesome. that's how the bar wound up here. Is we bought that house December 2012 and. Uh, would walk our dog over to Goose the Market. I'd stand outside, and then one day there was a for rent sign in the space that we're sitting in now. And so I'm still there uh, during the day. Josh is the only full-time out of the three of us, so he okay. pulls the salary. And then we have Chris Porter here at, at the Coal Ship who runs it Monday through Friday. His roommate, Craig, who's behind the bar tonight, subbing in, uh, runs Saturday. And then our, our sales guy that we hired halfway through this year, Adam, has been running Sundays. And, and we're going to flip that up a little bit in, in 2017. So what was the impetus to like do it? Like what made you – well, I guess you didn't jump all the way off because you still have the job. Yeah. So I did the opposite. I mean, I had to, I had to pull the trigger 100%. I didn't yeah. have any partners with myself and my wife. But, I mean, when you jumped in, that's still quite an undertaking, especially to open a brewery. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of permitting that we didn't have to go through. I yeah. mean, when you got to that point, I mean, what, at what point did you decide you wanted to do a brewery with a couple of other guys? So back in 2010, I was still living up in Chicago and started looking at craft beer just as it, it started to take off. And I joined a, a newfangled thing called Twitter and started searching around growing up in the broad ripple area to see who was doing what down in indianapolis for those of you that aren't familiar with twitter google donald trump (laughs) (laughs) don't do that please don't do that please please don't do that um so we're gonna get retweeted on that shit right there yeah yeah so i i found this new brewery that was opening that would become flat 12 and they were doing opening stuff at binkley's 
So I came down and uh, reconnected with Chris Bly, who he and I went to Wabash College together. And then we met Josh. And at the time, Josh was working at, at Target. And, and Josh was, is the head brewer. Correct. Yeah. Josh is, is the whole reason we're here. Honestly, so he was at Target at the time. Yeah, he was He's literally working Target. morning inventories at Target, managing managing a team, and then because he was working mornings, he had time to uh, volunteer at a brewery, and so he started volunteering, just sweeping the floors, getting the the whole space prepped, uh, but very quickly helped put the brew house together, helped with the first brew day, and then got hired on and moved up to head brewer, writing the schedule, and started their barrel program. And as I got to know him more. It was one of those things where I said, I've got a math background, a project management background. If you ever need somebody to help you keep the lights on, I'm here. Sure. Um, so that's that's how we wound up here. And then uh, Chris has a chemistry background. And, and as we talked about in the last episode, focusing on Brett, very understudied, a lot of scientific you know, literature about it, but it needs some, some experimentation. So he really took that on as a, as a home brewer to start doing test batches and, and really tweaking that recipe. And so it, it became the three of us. And we just kept going through it. And then uh, in 2013, we tried to raise a shit ton of money. We were, had, a goal of, had a goal of a million. Investors love to hear that. We yeah. were like, how much are you trying to raise? A oh, shit ton. Whatever you'll give us. That's yeah. that Indiana unit of, uh, of measurement. <laughs> yeah. Shit ton. You know, I mean, it's uh, we were looking for a million and a half dollars. less than an ass load, but. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we were looking for a million and a half dollars and 30,000 square feet and, and all this crazy stuff. Mm. And, and the best thing that happened to us is that we didn't do that. Right. Yeah. You, I was going to say you, yeah. you contract brew, right? Right. At yeah. the moment. Yeah. So we worked it all the way back from 13 until late 14 to where Black Acre was, was good enough to us to let us come in there. That's, um, I think, a big testament about or to the changes you have to make kind of and, and pivot while you're putting a business together because, you know, I've long said that the um, the business will kind of let you know what it is and yeah. you have to be perceptive to that. Um, that came from, that usually in the restaurant and bar business, that typically comes a year, year and a half in, but you had to make that call like much earlier on. Yeah, I mean, we we had to walk out on a couple deals. Um, we had to make the call to walk away and, and still figure out how to, to scrape it together and then even this place and you know, we opened it with bringing dark matter coffee in from chicago so heavily respected roaster that's doing some crazy stuff up there we brought them in we were going to focus on beer and wine we wanted to have a wine program that complemented our beer program and everything like that and and just as it's gone through this last year we went from opening up at 10 in the morning to now we're going to shift to open up at two in the afternoon so it's it's become very much a a beer space, an industry space, and we've kind of let it go to that as opposed to what you see a lot of people do, which is to try and force it into that initial Force their uh, concept. Vision. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, across the board, I mean, our first restaurant that we opened, we just kind of expected it to be a little tiny neighborhood Thai restaurant, but then again, you know, there was not much in that neighborhood when we opened. I mean, that... Yeah. It was that gentrification that happened real fast. It's crazy to think that that short of t uh, time ago, the yeah. the traffic and the buzz. And Only eight years ago, there were four restaurants down there when we opened. Oh, you guys, Peppy's. Uh, Peppy. Well, I forgot about Peppy's. So, like, Peppy's was there. Uh, there was a uh, wine bar, Dino's Vino, um, Santorini Greek Kitchen, which is still yeah. there. 
there was Luxor an Egyptian restaurant, which has uh, since closed shop. I and, can't believe that went under. And uh, so the Brass Ring actually opened uh, two months before us. So we Holy were kind shit. of opening at the same time. So we kind of were going through all of it together. So the owners of the Brass Ring, which is uh, fantastic, like Locals Bar yeah. and definitely an industry bar um, after hours uh, in Fountain Square in Indianapolis. Like, definitely swing by there if you're in town. But, you know, they yeah. were kind of going through this build out and all that at the same time we were none of us had a damn clue not only that but uh clay with sun king brewing um yeah. so clay is a friend of mine as well and and he was going through it about six months later and we kind of had to sit down and, and had a few beers at that point and we're like wow like this everything's about to change i mean you could feel it in the air you know it was like that old hunter hunter thompson quote like you could the the, the wave was cresting you know like yeah. with kind of the old guard and there was this uh there was about to be a big changeover about what was about to happen, but we didn't really know what it was. It wasn't like we were a psychic or we were like, oh, we're going to fucking, sure. we're going to change the world. But we were just like, some, there was something in the air. Like we felt like there, we're on the cusp of something big is about to happen in the city. And I don't think any of us really knew exactly what that was to look like. I mean, for, their, for the dining scene to look like what it does now. Yeah. Versus eight years ago, I mean, it's you wouldn't even recognize the city. No, I mean that's I, I in two thousand in late two thousand eight, I was coming back from living in Australia for a year in Brisbane, Australia for a year, and when I went to Australia, it was one of those like I'm out, but all my friends were still hanging out in in, in Chicago, and it was the summer in Chicago, and I came back for some weddings, and I said, well, you know, I want to come, come back. Qualifier. It was summer yeah, in Chicago. Summer in Chicago. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no so one you wants come, to come to winter in no, Chicago. No, so you come back for eight, you know, eight weeks, and you're seeing all your old friends, and it's the Chicago is one of the, the best cities in the world in the summer, in my it opinion. It really is. It, it is. And, oh, it's beautiful. And so, you know, coming back to that, but even still being like, oh, it's it's Chicago. I'm still on this honeymoon kick with right. with Chicago. It still took a couple years, and that's where 2010, 2011. So if we take the the surfing or the cresting wave, it was that next set. Right, it was that next major set that was kind of to to come in for a surfing analogy, where we started to see it and go like, okay, so cultural trail is going to happen, Super Bowl is going to happen, downtown's going to happen, like everything's set up locally, so maybe we can we can try and make this thing happen, um, and super interesting to to me at least to look back and go, in 2011, 2012, we were talking about Cezanne and Brett and all that stuff, and so then you get that that nervous energy where now you're two years behind where you wanted to be, you're mm -hmm. seeing that start to hit and you're going, oh shit, we better figure this out in a hurry and get open. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of, I don't know, like I said, you know, with Arthur, we, we've talked about it in the past and I know he wants to retire with a wine bar and uh, yoga studio. Oh yeah, studio, my, my, but, my wine and beer bar and yoga studio, yeah. detox, retox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go up, get where you. Where are you gonna put that? I don't know, but the yoga studio is going to be upstairs. Nowhere if listens to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'll probably retire with a yoga studio, whether yeah, there's that, wine that bars or another story. Yeah. Um, it's, I just looked at it, and it's like, and I'm, I'm probably giving away my fucking idea online or on the air. Um, so the vast majority of yoga teachers out there don't make Beep. enough money. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just bleeping out your ideas here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my yeah. friend. I'm here for uh, you. Man. I'm back. I'm so back, back, back here in Indianapolis, or uh, that was a thought. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was just you know brainstorming or whatever. But to Ed's point, I mean, I have a great job. I get paid well. I have a lot of autonomy. Got a lot of perks. Um, I get to be very engaged in the community. Like a part of my job is kind of being 
uh, an ambassador of, of Indianapolis and in turn being an ambassador of my employer to Indianapolis. Yeah. And you get to do a cool podcast. I get to do a pretty cool. Co- this is my this major is awesome. revenue stream. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, we make so much fucking money off if this. This is podcast. your major revenue stream. It's <laughs> ad dollars. No, but I mean, it's uh, shit, you, know? you know, the the cocktail festival that we do. Yeah, I'm not making any money off that. The repeal party that we just had earlier in the week. I'm, we're not making any money off that. But my employers see that the activity that I'm engaging in the community ultimately drives the community. It's going to drive business. Um, it's hard to walk away with, from that kind of liberty and uh, that kind of autonomy. So, you know, at one point, maybe they'll fire me. And at which point, I'll look at a, a business plan because I don't think I could ever really be just it's, numbers, salesperson. It's so the hard, street, though, whatever. to like, make that jump. I mean, like, um, I really resisted leaving my job, even though we were in the middle of a build out for our first restaurant. Like, where were you I, before you? I worked for Buffalo Wild Wings for 10 years. Um, fantastic training. I don't have bad anything bad to say about the company because um, I love to. In fact, personally, I love to hire people with corporate restaurant experience. experience. Yeah, because I know that if you can fit within that framework and you can thrive in that framework, uh, you've learned the rules, you've adhered to the rules, and then when you come to us, where we're a little bit looser, but we still are very strict on certain things that you'll be able to listen to me and I don't have to fight that all the way. I'm just now getting to a point and I think the country is starting to get to a point where we're starting to hire uh, younger kids now that simply have never... I've got people on staff that have never had to work a bullshit fast food job. Like, they've never... I mean, any of that stuff... Everybody should have to work shit jobs. I totally agree with that. I think you ought to have to put in a couple years at like Burger King or McDonald's or Taco Bell or something because it teaches you so much like how to interact with your fellow employees, how to follow a frame set of rules, like all of that. And But it's a big jump to go from that and to say, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's where Jake and I have talked yeah. on, on numerous drunken nights, uh, usually at Thunderbird. <laughs> Over a couple of Josh Gonzalez cocktails. Oh, yeah, God. but they're, it's, they're it, blood it is. Sport it's hard to like make that jump because you lose everything that you just mentioned. We don't have pensions. We don't have 401ks. We don't have a steady salary. There's nothing. I mean, it's all on you. And I'll tell you, personally, me, um, probably the worst anxiety attack, I think that I, well, (laughs) I, 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 blog posted one of them and I think Jake has read yeah. that numerous times I've yeah. since taken it offline maybe one of these days I'll put it back up the internet is um, a dangerous I, thing I, well I changed so uh, at rudicell.com I just redirected to our podcast website here gotcha um, but uh, that was a pretty bad anxiety experience there when we were opening our third restaurant it was just terrible but like other than that it was the very first day that I was ever in business for myself. We were doing our soft open at Siam Square in Indianapolis. And um, when the first person punched their four digits in to uh, clock in on the POS system, I lost it. Like I couldn't <laughs> breathe because oh, I realized really? how little amount of money we actually had yep. in the bank. And that was the point at which I realized I am now responsible for his yep. bills in addition to my bills. And when yep. the subsequent 15 people clocked in I was I mean I couldn't breathe I was hyperventilating for a good hour and a half Re, like the realization hit that I, I I can't guarantee I can pay my bills how the hell are they going to pay theirs yeah. and and I think that's where it's tough for me personally right so just in the past week I I'm now asking about like how do we retain 
talent here. And, and there's a combination of, of two ways to look at that, which is one, shouldn't you grow talent to where people go out and become evangelists for your city and all that stuff. But the, the next part is how do we then recruit? Right. So I, I put that out on, on Facebook and said like, Hey, I want, I want honest feedback about this. And somebody came and, and called it and said, why haven't you left your job yet? And that's tough for me to look at and go, well, you're right. Like, are we faking this? Are we not? And the way that I, I think we're all faking. I it. mean, yeah, but you know, <laughs> every the, bit the of way, it. <laughs> the way, the way that I, that I rationalize it is, is to say that that gives us an extra income stream, honestly, and, and gives us more flexibility. But yeah, there were times early on here where I sent an, an email to the three people that we have. And I was like, Hey, is there any way you can stretch this a couple days? Right. And it was finally after like the second or third time I did that, that somebody was like, yo, that's bullshit. That's a bullshit thing to say to people. And you go, Oh my God, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like I was so deep in books and balance and cash flow and, and all of this stuff that I forgot. And ever since getting that, I've never had that come back across where I'm like, I don't give a shit if I can't pay mine, right. you have to. And, and going back to, to your post, it's one of those things that I'd been sitting there eating a sandwich like two days before in the new rook and all this and then seeing that and just going oh shit that's that's was, the real deal it was you it know? was terrible i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i mean i i i never needed xanax until we opened our second restaurant <laughs> at, at which point <laughs> my 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 anxiety went through the roof and so when we opened restaurant number three, I'd actually forgotten my, my Xanax. I usually leave it in the console of my car. As as listeners may know from our previous episode, when the prick at the car wash stole half the, the bottle. But regardless, <laughs> I had forgotten my bottle at home at that time. And uh, I was I had, I live on the south side of Indianapolis. Uh, our restaurant's downtown, and I had to drive to the north side, which is a good, you know, it's a good 45-minute drive with no traffic. But I was actually in the middle of rush hour. Which, uh, you know, triples uh, yeah, to quadruples yeah, yeah. that amount of time. I was trying to hunt down. I don't even remember what the fuck I was hunting down. But it was something that we needed at the restaurant. None of the Asian markets had it. Um, I'm on the way back down. And I've, I couldn't find it. So I've wasted my time. I've wasted three and a half hours of my time. Jeez. The clock is ticking now for the rest of the Asian markets in town to close. Yep. I've got no Xanax on me. And I'm sitting in my car. And the world just feels like it's destroying me. Yep. <laughs> you know? And so I... Yeah, I finally made it back home because I, I didn't actually find my product. While I'm sitting in traffic, I was calling around and nobody had what I needed. Um, I went back home and that's... I intentionally, once I got home, I intentionally did not take a Xanax um, because I yeah. wanted to maintain that kind of... Focus? I mean, I, I can feel it in my fucking bones right now. Just It's not even, it's not focus. It's the complete opposite. It's your brain going a thousand different places and feeling crushed and I was like, I'm going to sit down and I want to capture this. And I wrote it. And I think Jake was actually probably the the biggest um, supporter. I don't know about supporter, but I mean, he, he definitely put it out there on social media because I, I put it up, didn't think much about it. I woke up, woke up the next morning and like I had a little shitty blog that like maybe I'd get like 40 fucking hits on, you know, like every time I posted something. The next day I woke up, there was like 5,000 hits. 
And I was like, what the fuck? Happened. Wow. Well, because it, it was, was Jake. Uh, Jake happened. Bullshit. <laughs> it was. Uh, the Jake bump. It was Tia. Um, Tia from New Day. Oh, New Day was how Meadery, fantastic yeah, place here so, in town. So, so I mean, you talk about that, like, so Brett and Tia start a, a Meadery twelve years ago, ten years ago, whatever it was, ten years uh, ago. They just passed ten. Okay. Okay. Up on Brett's family farm, up in Northeast Indiana. They start with this little place up there, and then they open a tasting room in Fountain Square, and for years, they're driving back and forth. Right. To, they're making it up there. It's a year and a half. They're bringing it, you know, an hour and a half. They're bringing it down and all this stuff, and, and they're some of our favorite people in this whole industry, but it was she shared it, and it was, this is what it's really like, and I went, okay. Like, if that's, if that's what we're looking at, but then... Even with the brewery, we had a, a small loan and there was some other stuff where you're going through and you're maxing out a couple credit cards and, and stuff like that. It really wasn't until we went to open Coal Ship where we're sitting right now. And we, December of last year, so a year ago at this time, we got our ATC permit, which took us an extra three and a half months because we had to rezone to make this 21 and over only. We had that. And I went down to code enforcement to submit our structural plans because we were trying to do it all on our own. And the guy's like, okay, uh, no, you, you're missing this. You're missing this. You're missing this. And so it was four visits in three days. And finally I said, man, I can, as of today, sell beer and wine out of my place. And I'm waiting on you. I need, I need help. And he goes, Oh, I thought you were just an expediter or something like that because you knew 90% of the stuff. And he goes, let me look through your application. So I fixed it and I finally got it submitted. And he goes, okay, that'll be about three or four weeks. Mm. So you can't assume anything. Like, I, and it, it's uh, code enforcement so, is a nightmare anyway. <clears throat> and, I mean, and, we went through the same thing. And so, so then we're sitting here and we're sitting here and we're paying rent. We've got everything in. Right? We've already maxed everything out. And December 23rd, I'll never forget it, sitting on a friend's couch, and I get this email. And I'm so excited because it's, it's from Code Enforcement, and it's got 12 bullet points, including you have to, it's a change of use, so you have to put in a second bathroom and sprinklers and everything else. And if you've ever seen this place, it's a thousand square feet, there's no room. <laughs> So if you're in New York, yeah. sorry, yes, yeah. we're complaining about a it's, thousand square but feet. But it's it's one of those. <laughs> I know, like when you said New York, I'm like, this place is huge in New York, right? But it's one of those things where you can open where three we went, bars in New York with the amount of square footage here. You know, we're we're sitting there looking and going, well, we don't have the money for that. That that could shutter this place. So then finally, it's it was six weeks later that we finally got the release and like soft open the next day because everything was ready to go. That's great. I mean, we. When we went through our code enforcement in 2008, it was so there's a canopy awning in front of our Thai restaurant. Yep. That goes out, and there was a canopy already there. Like, we just wanted to recover it um, so that it obviously didn't have the name of the old restaurant. So, we, I, I did the same thing you did. I went down to code enforcement, made my application. The first day, they're just like, Who the fuck are you, and why don't you have any of the stuff that yep. we, we need? Yep. So, I'm like, Oh, well, I didn't know. Okay, so I'll go back and get it. <clears throat> Went back and brought everything back the next day. I got this poor guy on fucking lunch break. So look, somebody went on lunch break and this guy filled yep. in. He wasn't even it wasn't even his job and was to deal with the public. He was in the back. 
I sit down and I've got all my plans and whatnot. And he's like, okay, yeah, I see what you're trying to do here. He pulls all the old variances and whatnot. And he's like, uh, well, since you're recovering, you're putting a new restaurant name on the canopy. It's a uh, change of use, you know, like you said. <laughs> yeah. um, so you have to meet current code standards. Yep. This thing is four inches lower than the 10 foot requirement. Yep. So you can't do it. I'm like, mm -hmm. four fucking inches. This oh, thing has yeah, been there man. since 1985. Yep. And like, we went round and round. He's like, no, I'm, I'm with you. And so he went to his boss. He said, come on, can we just get a waiver on this? At the same time, we were trying to put a little like awning next to it, like they hug the windows and at the same um, height. So they finally came down off of the canopy thing because there was a variance on it already applied for in 1985. Yep. They wouldn't let us do it on the, on the awning. And he's like, listen, I know what you're trying to do here. Like, you're trying to get a nice, clean, you know, uh, line of sight across with with the awnings. He's like, but I just can't. And I was like, you know what? Fuck all this. And I, I mean, yep. I got shitty with the guy. I said, you know what? That's fine. Those uprights that are already there in the concrete that have been there for 30 fucking years. I'm going to rip them out today. I'm going to get a jackhammer and I'm going to leave the crumpled up concrete just lying there so the city can deal with it because you don't want to give me a, a, a simple variance to leave an awning there that's already there. Like, I just need the canopy there. It's already there. Yep. I want to recover it. Different letters on the side. I'm sorry. But they call that a... I'm sorry. It was a sign enhancement. Yep. An enhancement. That was that was the terminology they used. And so that was what got them to see my way on the canopy. Where they're like, well, no, no, no. We don't want you ripping up the sidewalk. I'm like, well, that's the point. They're already there. Yeah. But the awning that was being added next to it, they wouldn't come down on. We, had to, we have a four-inch flap. Yep. On it, so you can I could maintain my uh, line of sight, but <laughs> but yeah, it blows in the wind because they wouldn't allow us to frame it down that extra four inches because it has changed since 1985. Mine was uh, so we're it's October. We've we've started with our so to get your your ATC your alcohol tobacco permit, you have to go to a local board hearing. That's only held the first or second Monday of the month, right? So if you miss that you're done for another month. And I think you and I actually saw each other there I when did. you guys were doing the transfer for Rook. Right? That's right. Um, so we started in July, and to do that, you have to get a zoning clearance and a tax clearance. And so when we went to get the zoning clearance in July, they said, no, we can't do it. And so to rezone, it's three months of different hearings and stuff like that. So we finally were set up for October. It just happened that that was Megan and my first wedding anniversary, and we were going to France and Belgium uh, to celebrate our anniversary, and we were going to be gone over when that was. So I'm trying to get everything done the week before. So we've finally gotten through zoning, and I go to get our tax clearance. And I've been back since 2011, right, paying my taxes. Josh and, and Chris have been here, no issues. And I walk in, and the, the person that I talk to spins around, grabs a piece of paper, reads it, puts it back, and says, you're not current and up to date. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, if help me out here, because current and up to date, I've been paying my taxes. You just told me that I've been paying my taxes since 2012 in Indiana, and it's now 2015. Like, how, that, how does that not define it? And she said, well, you have a gap. And I said, oh, you mean the five years that I lived in Chicago? She's like, yeah, because I grew up here. So I had my taxes. Right. Then I moved. And then I came back and I had four more years. 
And I said, I'm failing to, to grasp this. And she said, well, you have a gap. You're going to have to go get copies of your taxes. And it was this whole back and forth. So the day before we left, I woke up at four in the morning. I drove to Springfield, Illinois, to the Illinois Department of Revenue. Mm. I was there all of 15 minutes for them to print it out and hand it to me. I then had to drive to Chicago to do a beer event. The, more, the day we left, I drove back from Chicago at 6 a.m., walked into the tax office, sleep-deprived as all hell, and was like, here you are. Here are the five years of printouts. And she said, well, this is a summary. It's not your original. Yeah. And I go, <clears throat> I talked to the guy. And you tell me how they know everything about my, you know, what I filed at, how much I owe and everything like that. And tell me I didn't file in that state. And it was still a pause. And she's like, okay. So this is the <laughs> This is why we're telling you, Arthur. I know. Like, like, yes. I never want to open a... This is anything. Nine, this is literally 8.32 in the morning so that I can do that, get the checkbox bring it over here as a folder and leave it so that way Megan and I can get on a flight in the afternoon, go on our one-year anniversary, and uh, Chris Bly can go to the, the hearing on Monday. So, like, I I mean, these are the issues that we all have to deal with, and this is the, uh, on top of all that, this is the government that's always saying we support small business. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, these, yeah. Are the, um, these are the wheels that need greased. Like, you know, when we're talking about supporting small business, if you're talking about a $100 million a year business, I'm sorry, that is not a small business. I, I can't relate in, in terms of opening business, but I can relate in terms of working with the government for sake of permitting and zoning and sure. all the various you know events and things that I'm involved in. And a lot of these people, there's a very small percentage that get it. And like they'll hear your individual case and they'll put that in the context of setting you up for success or telling what they need. Many people just look at permitting and paperwork and go no i mean that woman like in that position sitting at that desk desk was basically god like she was going mm -hmm. to you know like your life was going to change whether or not she said yes or no and some people just don't look outside of of, of what's what's on paper what's black and white and it's, it's tragic because it's like being at the airport you know like you can't get mad and be like are you fucking stupid because you're gonna get right. like tackled yeah. by security yeah. and, and you know TCA and all that stuff. It's it's very TCA uh, or not what TCA. <laughs> but all right, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to our wine episodes, oh god. But that's but that's the thing where so Sorry. so now TSA. you've gone so now you've gone through that to get open, right? You've you've gone through all this stuff to get open. You're in, you're dealing with like how do I pay people? How are we going to get through this initial cash flow stuff? And then somebody comes in on your opening and says, it's too expensive. Oh, uh, I know. It's too expensive. It's crushing, the service, man. Oh, the you're service sucks. Yeah. Your stuff's not good. Yeah. Why My, do we need another brewery? Why it took so long, all of this stuff. And so so then you're going, oh my, oh my God, are people gonna, are people gonna show up next week? So hold on, we, something we didn't clarify, like uh, we talked about your background, but was this your first Involvement yeah. in like on premise. Oh yeah. So running restaurants and yep, working with staff and consumers. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, to me, that's where the anxiety always comes from, and I think that, I mean, even today, you know, you I had a it, will woman come? Go, going off on us at one of the restaurants, you know, uh, because they didn't want to wait for a table, and they were just like up in my wife's face, yelling like, 
if I can't get seated now or I'm I want to place my order so that it's ready for when I'm ready to be seated and like we can't do that I can't clog up my pass in the kitchen for a table that's not even seated at, yet at the moment and so but you know those things are things that you can't explain no you know that's that was why my post was more of a vent I mean it was like these are the things that you can't say to a customer when they're in your face yelling saying why the fuck did it take me 15 minutes to get a beer you can't say have you looked at the one guy behind the beer uh, the bar that no is sympathy. pouring none beers for everybody yep. in this joint like yes should we have had more staff here absolutely i didn't choose for two of them to get the flu tonight right you know so and that's why everyone should be forced at least for a year to work in a restaurant to appreciate it because the people that do that are definitely not the people that have ever worked in a restaurant and can appreciate it um, I was at a Taste Cafe one day. So if people aren't familiar with Taste Cafe, it's a mom-pa-owned restaurant. Um, they have three kids. It's a breakfast joint um, um, in Sobro, uh, so south of Broad Ripple, uh, north of where the hell are we now? Thirty Eighth Street. Yeah. yeah. Do we have an? Is there a name for this neighborhood this now? Is this, Fall is this is Fall Creek. Place. Fall Creek. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I was in there, and Eric and I were having having brunch. And um, I love Mark and Deidre, good people, you know. And um, there was a, a table, about a five, six top, and there was a wait because they were just getting slammed. You know, tons of people in there. Are we getting more beers? We're getting more beers. Break of uh, mental thought. So they were digging <laughs> crazy slammed, and I couldn't have been happy for them because I know that mo- I know where that money's going. It's going to them with their two toddlers, and they just had a newborn. And there's a table of five or six people, and their food was taking a long time. Food was taking a long time, and everyone's was whatever. They were complaining aggressively to the their manager, which was a 23 year old kid or whatever kid comes over and is like you know we'll happily send out some some cocktails for you some champagne cocktails to make for the wait and, and then the food came down and um, he called the back over and he's like we're not going to eat this and they like or we're not going to pay for this and they ate like more than half their food and they're like you're not going to comp our bill and the kid was like I, I'll go talk to the owner and came back and he's like no well, we, we sent out you know the cocktails and everything it's like you're really not going to comp our bill like I will Yelp this like you won't believe. Uh, I, I'm lucky and, enough to have never experienced the people that threaten Yelp because I'd be like, you well, know what, go fucking. It took Yelp. everything. Like I was, I was just steeping, you know, like at the table, and uh, it took me everything from going over because it wasn't my place. It's not my business. Right. But I wanted to go over and just be like, you cocksucker, do you realize that mm-hmm. there's a husband and wife that own this place, and they just had their third baby. And shame on them for being so busy to where there's a bit of a wait for you. If you can't handle a little bit of a wait for quality food and quality experience, then fucking go to Bob Evans. You know, you are douchebags. I saw them bring over drinks. And that's probably, say it's $70, $80 worth of, yeah. you know, mimosas I mean, I or whatever. To, like, turn it into a, a giant bitch fest. But, I mean, a lot of the, the trials and tribulations that we have as small business owners do, like, after you get open, like, and you're worrying about how you're going to pay everybody, once you get that stabilized, then it does become your your 100%. Your focus is on on your clients. Uh, and I can't say 100%. I mean, you want to make sure your employees are taken care of, but it's a, it's a split of your time. And, I mean, I think uh, one of the biggest issues, like, what you were uh, – to address what you were saying you know we have complaints about you know timing coming out of the kitchen very often our Thai restaurant and what 
I wish I could say to all those people out there, and perhaps I am saying that now, is that we... <laughs> we Strangely, next right, week, it if, sounds if you happen to be listening, but if you already <laughs> yeah. are listening, you probably are a fan of the restaurant already. Right. But, you know, when we opened in 08, like I said earlier, there wasn't anything in the neighborhood, and my business plan literally called for us to have 50 people a day inside that restaurant. We currently do about 350 people a day. Wow. In a, a very, very small dining. I mean, we're... Our dining room is a thousand square feet. Um, it's about the size. We have two walks. We so like I mean everything's made by hand. I think there's a perception because of like China buffets or or whatever bullshit you know Asian place you've been to is that we've got some pan sitting in a, a warmer in the back yeah. that we can just scoop out just, some fried rice and and put some cilantro or whatever on top to garnish and like send it out and that's just not the case. Everything's being made to order. And there are literally two walks. I mean, could we have built a bigger kitchen? Absolutely, we could have. But in 2008, there was zero <laughs> reason to do that. It would have been a waste of money, of money that we didn't have in the first place. Um, you know, now that we fast forward eight years, would I love to have it? Absolutely. But I mean, I can't. At this point, we have a moving freight train and we have such a large staff there. I think we have 34 employees now at that restaurant that, you know, to disrupt business long enough to actually build on a, a larger kitchen. Yeah. Um, and not only that, staff it, because that's always a trick here in Indianapolis is to find people that actually can cook on a walk. It's not taught in the culinary schools around town. Um, it's definitely takes a, it's a very steep learning curve. To 33 employees just at one restaurant. It, it, it cracks me up because I feel like such a We dude. started with seven. Yeah. <laughs> that was a well, big mistake. But I mean, you're talking about, yeah. you know, being responsible for other people, and this is outside of permitting, and it's outside of Board of Health, and then, you know, ATC. And like, I feel like such a douchebag sitting here because um, I had a rough three days early in the week. But <laughs> to counter that today, like, I woke up and went and got acupuncture, and I got some cupping done, and then I was at. Yeah, yeah. I was at uh, now, his I, definition I, of cupping is different than what you might. No, think. no, I, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, balls. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, my my back and everything's covered with them, you know. So then I um I did a few hours of work on a computer and a couple phone calls and I went to hot yoga, and then um where did I go after that? Supposed to be throwing this out there. Are you gonna let your yeah, employer it, hear it's this? A, it's a soft day, you know. I mean, it, yeah. I'm recovering from the first half. I've, I've put in 45, 50 hours this week already, which isn't nothing compared to you guys. I don't want to claim that it is. To quote Clay Davis, she. Um, <laughs> and then I had to go get my teeth cleaned at the dentist, and then I've rolled down here with the intention of going to work out afterwards. Now, and a few beers beer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a rough day. Um, and, you know, it's it just like I'm, I've hung out with Ed often. And <laughs> <laughs> my phone never stops. <laughs> the phone never stops. And then when it has a small lull, he'll pick it up and look at it. And there's like nine monitor screens on it to where he's watching the kitchen and the office of every one of his fucking yeah. restaurants at once. Yeah. It's like, ah, no thanks. I do. I obsessively pull up my surveillance cameras because no one ever wants to admit they need help at the restaurants. Yep. And so I have to look. And if I see a line out the door and I see people freaking out or if I see uh, somebody waiting at the host station that hasn't been addressed, I can see it. And so I can call those restaurants and I can say, hey, you guys doing okay over there? And they'll say, oh, yeah, we're doing fine. I'm like, it doesn't look fine. <laughs> and and I Don't think that's, lie to Ed. I you know, see all. They forget that I have the cameras. But they, there's yet another thing, right? So we talked about growing brewery industry, obviously growing restaurant scene here in Indianapolis and, and all that stuff. It's not that 
there's these massive bubbles out there or anything like that. It's the, it's the staffing part of it. So we're we're this so, town's getting thin. We're so lucky here that we have Chris Porter. He runs this place, no questions asked. And we don't even, we don't even have a camera in here. I You're shouldn't extremely... advertise that, but you know, it, it's it's one of those things of the cooler is in the rear yeah, to the left. Yeah, back back and left. We do have a safe, so you know, screw back you. Back into the left. Back into the left. <laughs> Nice. But it's it's wow. one of those nice. where back into the left. Again, you know, we when we did the business plan, we thought we were going to need part time people and stuff like that, and and we haven't. Well, now that we look at next steps, we're going how how do we find the right people? How do you hire the right people? How do you train the right people? All all that stuff. Um, do you do you go with a no tipping model? Do you go with a is Indianapolis ready for that? It's not that is the. Are I don't we ready think the country's ready for that. That's a whole yeah. Other yeah episode. That that now. I mean, it's it's hard enough to run with a but, pulling your chips situation. But yeah. speaking of like staffing, so I mean that's a good question I've got for you. Um, I mean I hear a lot of people bitch about younger generation and like the sense of entitlement they have at their jobs and and whatnot. And I'm like, I, have you encountered anything like that? I mean. So for us, no, because we have two, three people. Right. You know, we're not we're not there in the sense of this is what's expected or or anything like that. So thankfully, no. But that's that's what scares me about the next place. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to throw this out there. I, I, people complain about the millennials, and yeah, we've certainly had some issues with the kind of entitlement generation, I guess it's been referred to in the past, but I'm not going to group everybody into that. And in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, I see a lot of promise. Um, We've got a lot of people in our kitchens now that are very, very young. I've got some 18, 19 year old kids in there, um, particularly at our Thai restaurant um, at Siam Square. They are, I've got one girl that's on the line now. She's 20. Uh, she's been cooking with us. Well, she started as a, um, gosh, I think she was just doing prep. Um, you know, very, very basic prep. Um, she's cooking on the line now. She's 20 at a Thai restaurant where the chef doesn't speak English very well. Um, our sous chef doesn't speak English hardly at all. Um, you know, awesome. and so, yeah, I mean, she's killing it. There's there's four other people kind of around her in that station that um, are, in the same, are in the same boat and they... they they really help to grease the wheels and help that kitchen operate. And I, I see a bright future, you know. Yeah. I always get dismayed, though, when I see people with that potential and they listen to the, the bullshit. And yep. for if you're under 21 listening to this, shame on you because I think we're clearly marked as explicit. It's explicit. <laughs> it's explicit. But, and 21 plus. But... No, I mean, there's nobody out there that, that there's no guidance counselor in high school. There's no fucking, you know, advisor. Or there's no parent. There's nobody's going to say, you really ought to look into uh, restaurants as a, or bars or brewing yep. as a feasible career choice. Uh, if somebody had told me that, I think I might have actually taken this business a lot more seriously before I had, because I didn't really take it seriously until I was in my late 20s. Well, I mean, implied there is that there are guidance counselors at all. I mean, <laughs> right. Well, so, there used to be. I don't know if there are anymore. I, I didn't have one. Or right. at least we had one, but it sucked. Yeah. Like I, was I only a, went when I was in trouble. 
Well, I um, I, w- I was big into art um, when I was in high school. I'm not now. I mean, I appreciate art, but I mean, I drew and painted and all that kind of stuff. But I also had you know higher level academic classes. Um, and I, I went to the guidance counselor. He was like, "You're really good at art, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "You should draw uh, medical illustrations." <laughs> right. It, that's exactly <laughs> my point. <laughs> right. And, no. And that, yeah. and he's like, "Well, because yeah. I've seen some of your science classes, and you got good grades, and you like to draw. You can make a good living at thirty-five thousand dollars doing that. That's what you should do." And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to do that." He was like, "Well." I think you should really reconsider. It's like, but yeah, it all right, thanks. Be, it I, has to be in that. Right. I've had a host that would have made an amazing sommelier. I, I mean, the kid had the the mannerism, you know, to speaking to tables. He was very knowledgeable at, I mean, hell, I think when he worked for us, he was 17, 18. Um, he was already handling customers as a professional. And I was like, you know, if I, if I were your age, like personally, if I were to go back and do all this, that would have been a pretty fun career path is just start with wine right out the gate and then you figure it out in your mid-20s because I've had numerous psalms out in Vegas uh, in particular that are making, you know, damn near six figures and they're 23, 24 years old. And yeah. you're like, well, shit, man. I mean, you can figure out your life at 23 making six figures, but, you know, but th- most of them don't listen because what they do is they listen to the parents. And again, I'm not saying don't go to college. But right. what I'm saying is that it's not the answer to for everybody. I mean, I've got my degree. I, I have you, my degree, and I don't. Know, yeah, I mean, it has nothing the, to do with what I do professionally. Right, I have a journalism the flip, degree. The flip side of that being people that are that view that that's the only way, and that's where where I really start to see the gap is. I I go back um, when I can, so I graduated from Wabash and and do mock interviews, and there's always at least one person out of the mock interviews where I go hey you're really not feeling this like straight into corporate thing and he's like well yeah but you know it's expected and stuff like that and I said well let me tell you this story when I graduated I moved up to Chicago between uh, finals and graduation we always had a week off and I moved straight to Chicago and I had four weeks to hang out and then I started into into corporate the flip side of that is I had two of the, the smartest people that I know that went to Broderpool High School here, moved out to Aspen, and worked driving limos. So they'd drive limos in the summer, and then they'd travel in the fall with people that they met. They'd come back for the winter season, they'd travel in the spring. So those guys have seen the world. And I'm sitting in Chicago working an IT job in a cubicle right. going, man, that'd be fun. Right, so then you continue to go and you're like, well, but I can go to Australia and I can, I can do all this stuff. And you, you loop back and now look at it. And, and to your point, the freedom that's involved in just going, you know what, I'm going to work in this industry, get to know people, see where it takes me, um, I think is awesome. I think you guys covered that a little bit previously as far as getting into the industry and, and not thinking of it. Or maybe this was, I was reading it getting into the industry and not thinking of it as like a, a dead end job or a summer job or something like that. It's truly a profession. I started working in restaurants when I was 19. 
Yeah, and I've spent three years in my adult life not working in restaurants. So since I was 16, I, yeah, I mean, there was three years when I didn't. I had no it. idea. I mean, I was joking in the last podcast that I grew up with people, you know, my buddies and I, you know, were drinking underage, drinking the champagne of beers. I didn't realize that I would have a chance to have gone to champagne several times or, you know, traveled the world for that matter or turn whatever my job is, you know, create it because it's... Yeah. Well, it's like when unique. we were talking about earlier and said, you know, you've got to kind of wait till the the restaurant, you, you know, or bar or what, whatever it is that you're opening, wait it, wait for it to show itself to you and to reveal yeah. what it is to you a year later or whatnot. But I think the same goes to like, you know, kind of checking things out when you're young. Be open. Don't necessarily follow that track of like, I have to do this thing. Uh, I know we've gotten off track here a little bit from small business, but like from no. looking at it from the other side, like from the employee side, like I highly encourage young people to like, yeah, go out and check it out and look at it with open eyes and like take it in because, you know, yeah, there is no parent or guidance counselor that's going to say, go out and be a bartender. And, and yeah, 20 years ago, that was probably not a, a great choice. If you told your sure. parent that, you'd be like, oh, you're going to go make oh. fucking Cosmopolitans for the next, you know, 40 years. But I mean, this is a very viable you know, profession, and I, I get highly offended. I mean, I get talked yeah. down to a lot. I mean, as a, and you know, maybe that's something you can address, Jake. But I mean, you know, even as a service industry owner, um, you know, as a restaurant owner, and you're obviously in the service industry as well. You know, we still get talked down to. Like we were the fuck ups that decided, not even decided, we dropped out of college, or we couldn't even make it to college. We were Absolutely. too stupid to make it that far. I think that's one of the reasons why we're it's such a close-knit community because, you know, we get treated like shit by a lot of people outside and they just don't understand what it is that we do. Sure. Particularly when they call you on a Friday night at 10 p.m. They're like, hey, we're having a party. You want to come over right now? And like, yeah, I'll be there in like seven and a half hours, man. You guys going to be awake? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Bartenders alone in this town, and I know it's the same way in other t- other towns, um, some of the places these guys get to go, some of the competitions they win, I, you know, I can name off dozens of bartenders in the town that have been to Ireland and Scotland or Cognac. I've taken them down to, like, Oaxaca and, and Jalisco and on, on trips, you know, myself. Um, yeah, it's not a bad ride, man. You make good money, get to see the world, you get to learn about certain things. Um, and there's it, definitely craft to it. It's not... There, there's an art form, and it, it, it falls back on a mantra I've always had, and it applies to anything in life, like... I mean, the only thing certain in life is uncertainty, but if you just do a good job at whatever you're doing, whatever it is, just do a good job. Do good work. Don't be a dick. Life will work out. Very simple mantra. Do good work. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Well, I think we could just drop the mic there, literally. In the <laughs> like, Bam! Right. I mean, because it really does apply across the board. And, and that's the whole... Uh, to... to kind of close it out honestly I think you and I as you said Ed have had these conversations and and really it all starts to hit home with why do people see it as oh it's easy you just stand there and you pour drinks and you know or you, you just open a, a space and and people will come and there's so many more layers behind that so much more patience that you have to have and the margins being so thin that it truly becomes a thing that can consume you and does consume you it to should. where yeah. you're you're up in, in the middle of the night and thinking about everything else uh. and 
you know, the, yeah, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you're like, oh, my God, I hope my yeah. order shows up on time. Yeah, and, and just the tax that it takes not only on the business itself, trying to figure out how what that space looks like, but your personal relationships as well, and controlling both sides of that. Uh, that's been the uh, yeah, biggest. Yeah, I'm lucky thing. enough to have a wife that's also in, with at the restaurants with me. So yeah, I, I if, to those of you out there that are doing this, that that have a wife or, or significant other that's not in the in the restaurant industry or bar industry, like I'm, kudos to you because it's it's tough. It's tough enough for me. And kudos to your significant other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, especially. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard for to pull that off. And and I mean, this this conversation can go on and on and on. I mean, it's. You know, I guess to close out, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about or maybe we could address would be, you know, as a restaurateur anyway, I hear constantly, like, even from my parents, you know, after we opened up and we showed some, I don't want to say successful, but we stayed in business, sure. right? You know, um, you know, oh, wait, well, you know, we've thought about opening a place, you know, your mom can cook this and, or like, oh, all my friends tell me I should open a place because I... I'm a really good cook, or, or I'm from, uh, I'm from, whatever Chile, yeah. and you know there's no Chilean restaurants in town, and uh, and or no good ones, and I want to open a Chilean place because that's where I'm from, and I love the food there, and that's that's a very dangerous yeah. way of thinking. It's like, and you definitely see it in the brewing industry, yeah. Where like, hey, I'm a good home brewer. All my friends like my beer. I should open a brewery. You know, it's not even that. It's. Uh it's well. I've seen what those guys at Sun King have done, and I'm I'm a good business person. I've had success in other industries, so I just need to go hire one of those hipster brewer guys for thirty grand, and beer is beer. It doesn't matter from there. And, yeah, you know they'll just brew it, and and we'll be fine. It's. I think people don't realize and, this, the the razor thin margins and the difficulty of doing. It. Well, I mean, especially in your business on a massive scale. I mean, you go from yeah. brewing five gallon batches of beer. To, you know, whatever, 15 barrels. Yeah. That's a totally different story. And, like, you know, again, I think it was, like, ah, shit, I can't even, like, throw out the quote. But Bourdain made a comment in his original book, uh, Kitchen Confidential, about that. Like, you know, it's like a, a commercial kitchen is so not dangerous. about creativity and, like, putting your own spin on things. It's like doing the Those exact girls. same thing the exact same way 400 times a night. Yep. That's the guy that you need in your kitchen and that's what the kitchen's all about you know there is no like fun fucking around and playing around with with recipes like it's not that shit you see on TV it's a fucking this factory. is not ratatouille and it's, <laughs> yeah, it, right. well and it's, it's a, a factory it's the same, the same thing you move in and you're dealing with a thousand gallon vat that if you don't know how to manage the pressure inside of there from you know the, the change in, in temperature you can collapse it or you can kill somebody mm -hmm. and so going to that that takes the mind of somebody and it just, it's this whole other thing, but to your point is, it's not as easy as just signing a lease and opening it because your friends said it's cool. Right. And that that's a big danger, yeah. I think. Don't don't believe the crap to your research. Um, you know, you can always, <laughs> we, I, I, we definitely are not consultants and we aren't no. going to like give you any professional advice. There's, is there a law? Is there a law disclaimer here? Is there? I just, I just. We're read Steve it. Ruby. He's a lawyer. It. He gave us a fucking just, disclaimer at the bottom. I just read it today, which is, uh, as soon as as soon as you get comfortable, you're setting yourself up for failure. As soon as you lose the fear of failure, it's it gets closer. And I, that's, I believe that. Yeah. 
I mean, you, you should be freaking out at all times. I just thought of the role of, uh, and we didn't speak to it, but the role of the investor, like people that have the bankroll and they just think it would be really cool to own a restaurant. They own, open a restaurant without any idea of like. I what mean, goes I personally, into it. yeah, I personally think that's a very dangerous game. Oh, um, it is it because is. if unless and so, like as I mentioned earlier, I have one investor in our uh, whole group. Yeah. of restaurants which we're approaching five um, but he he and I have worked together for eight years now um, on different projects he used to actually be my landlord and that's how I got to know him but I have seen it happen over and over again it's like investors that want to make they want to turn a buck right I mean just like any other angel investor you want to put your money into it and you're looking for two, three, four times your money, depending on what kind of industry you're in. Maybe you're looking at 10 X, but if you don't understand the restaurant industry or if they don't understand the restaurant industry and you're, they're trying to operate, they, if they're looking for that kind of money and that kind of return, they haven't really looked at the industry as a whole and what's realistic. Um, that's why I, I refuse to get involved with someone that has not worked in the industry uh, because there's going to be unrealistic expectations. Like, hey, you guys have been open a year now. Why right. Why have I not gotten a check yet? The two things that I've always carried with that is investment money is impatient, right? And oh, 100%. also investment money is the most expensive money you'll ever take because generally you have to give up equity for it. But it's easier to get, and that's where the rub sure. is because banks don't like restaurants, and I've long held that the reason they don't I'm going to cycle this back around so we can like we're just like a comedian we'll cycle it back around so it all yeah. seems like a nice little bow and we can wrap the fuck <laughs> Tie it up. up but um, I, the reason banks in my opinion don't want to have to do with restaurants and well, I, this is not an opinion this is fact they don't want to have anything to do with the restaurants brewery service industry is because of the high failure rate yep there is a 90 plus percent failure rate in our industry now where my part comes in is that failure rate, I believe, is due to what the symptom I just mentioned is, you know, somebody's mom yep. has had all of her friends tell her that she makes amazing casseroles and she should have a casserole restaurant. Yep. Or like you do great barbecue, you should have a barbecue restaurant. And they jump into it without really knowing how to operate a business, uh, much less a kitchen uh, on a commercial scale. And then you do. A year later, you end up failing, and that skews the numbers in a way that's hurtful to those of us that have spent our lives in this industry as a career. Yep. So, couldn't agree more. Don't. And and the last thing to do is take an inheritance and think that that's your shot to open something. (laughs) Don't do that either. I don't know anybody that's been lucky enough to get an inheritance that large. Yeah. So. Well, Jake, I appreciate you sitting down yeah. and, uh, and doing all this. And, you know, we could do this for five, six, seven more episodes. But um, we're not going to bore everybody to death with about right. business. Don't worry. We'll be back to uh, fart jokes and burping <laughs> next week. And uh, <laughs> But uh, until then, uh, check out Central State uh, in Indianapolis. We're sitting here with Jake Kinnaman, who's one of the uh, owners of Central State. Uh, listen to our prior episode if you want to hear a little bit more details about how they uh, brew with pretendomyces and uh, make some amazing beers and uh, and also the coal ship right that's yeah. where we're hanging out here so you want to give a shout out to the coal ship yeah yeah coal ship uh, 25th in Delaware it's our beer wine and coffee bar so come see us here for uh, 
some fun stuff on the menu, carry out of Central State as well, as well as across Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky. Super. Thanks, boys. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we are shiftdrinkpodcast.com. Uh, on social media, at Facebook, we're uh, shiftdrinkpodcast, as is the same on Instagram, but on Twitter, we are shift underscore drink. Uh, until next time, gentlemen, hope to do this again. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Very informative. Until next time, guys. All right. Cheers. Cheers.